Good morning. If you are new in the room or if you're new online, welcome. My name's Troy. I'm the pastor here. And you have joined us for the fourth and final week of our series that is called Old School. And that series is all about how the church prepares the followers of Jesus for Jesus's mission. Now, because we're using the term school in there, as sort of mentioned throughout the series, when it comes to our, our thinking about school, maybe we th- thought, you know what, school wasn't so good. Maybe we didn't have such a good time at school, and there could have been a whole range of reasons for that. But regardless of how well your overall experience of school may have been, I'm sure that every single one of us had a favourite teacher. Who is your favourite teacher? Maybe they're over coffee afterwards. You might want to talk to somebody and say, who was your favourite teacher and why? That would make for really interesting conversations. This morning I want to show you a picture from a special moment that from, from my school. As you can see up there, that is an interesting thing. That is a picture of my high school AFL team from 1985. And we had just won the state schoolboys competition for AFL. Now, if you're wondering, where's Troy in that photo? I am the scrawny-looking kid that's sitting on the ground on the far left of that photo. Yes, that's me, believe it or not. (laughs) A little bit different to the way I look now. I won't point out the ways. Uh, But um, this this was a competition statewide that was run by the Sydney Swans. And um, this was a big deal. This is a big deal for us. And uh, so it was one of those real highlights of my life. Now... um, you might, I, I want to, in case you're interested, the guy sitting next to me, to my left, uh, many of us might actually know his son today. His son is actually plays for the Oklahoma City Thunder in the NBA in American basketball. The guy I called Josh Giddy. Anyone heard of Josh Giddy? He's, he's phenomenal, one of the most elite Australian basketballers at the moment, and that's his dad sitting next to me. And um, I can tell you about the, uh, the elite sporting career that that guy Warwick Giddy had after finishing school, and it, it's absolutely remarkable. But the guy sitting next to me is not the most impressive person in that photo. That title actually belongs to the guy in the back row on the far right-hand side in the white shirt. And that also who happens to be my most favourite teacher. He was our high school geography teacher, and who supervised us guys as we went all over the place to play our AFL games. Now, he was a biker of sorts. He loved his Harley Davidson uh, motorcycles, (laughs) like you wouldn't believe. And um, because of his appearance, quite unique that it is, most people called him Jesus. (laughs) Most people called him Jesus. Now, and you can see by the photo why that might be the case. Now, because of what I'm about to tell you, I'm needing to change the names of my teacher so that there's no repercussions down the track. So I'm going to call my favourite teacher Mr D. Now, the reason why I need to change the name is because of what will become apparent in the moment, is because of what he did to express his belief in me and us as a group of guys, I've never had a teacher believe in me to the extent that this guy, Mr. D, did. You see, um, Mr. D was, he was a unique individual, not merely in appearance, but he was a unique in the sense of his belief in us young lads. 
You see, our school had an incredible sporting pedigree, particularly when it comes to came to basketball and rugby league. So AFL is something that our school simply did not do. But because Mr D believed in us to such an extent, what he did was he went to go and ask the, the principal and saying, hey, I want to take these guys out to play in the state competition. And because AFL wasn't part of our tradition, the principal said no. And so Mr D at great personal and professional risk, he would sneak us out of school for every single one of our games. And the principal did not know. Now, remember, this is 1985. I'm sure that wouldn't happen now. But he would sneak us out to play all our games. Now, Mr D did end up telling the principal that, uh, of what had been going on. He told him the week that the, of the grand final match. And, uh, and so... We ended up playing the game, we ended up winning, and so the cup that you can see there in that photo, um, we presented to the principal who we very sheepishly accepted on behalf of the school. Now, I don't know what happened to Mr D as a result of him ignoring the principal's instructions not to allow us to go out of school, but what I do know is that I'll never forget what this teacher did for me. I'll never forget it. You know, Mr. D believed that we were worth the investment. Now, Mr. D, he was no expert in AFL. <laughs> Not at all. I think he'd much rather coach the rugby league team, truth be told. But he believed in us. And so what he did was he simply bought what he had to help us realise the potential that we had. And the potential we had is that cup sitting there on the ground with us. You ever had a teacher like that who believed in you to such an extent that they bring what they had so you can realise the potential you had? Now, this issue of teacher actually ties into our old school series because over the last few weeks, we've spoken about how Jesus' church helps fulfil the school part of our existence. You may remember that Jesus' church is to be family, where there is to be a sense of community that is so meaningful, so personal, so profound, that it's actually like family. Church is also to be army, where we are mobilised for mission, because as Jesus came, so then we also go. Church is also to be like hospital, where people find healing and wholeness, and church is also to be like school where church is to train people as followers of Jesus to prepare them for Jesus' mission. Now, as a church being like school, what that meant is that in this series over the last few weeks, we've spoken about how Jesus' church helps Jesus to train, to, sorry, to teach you, to transform you, and also to train and equip you. Now, these first three weeks of this series have been quite, dare I say, all about you. They've been all about you, about teaching you and transforming you and about training and equipping you. But today is to tell you about why. Why are you taught? Why are you transformed? Why are you trained? Now, as important as these things are, there's something so much greater than simply being all about you. But if we could just make it all about you just for a few moments more, 
Have you ever wondered about how you grow your faith? How do you grow your faith? You know, Scripture records Jesus often saying to his disciples, quite frustrated and saying words to the effect of, Oh, ye of little faith. So how do you become a person of great faith? How do you become a person of large faith? How do you take your faith from where it is today to be so much larger, more robust than where it is today? How do you do that? Well, to start answering that question, I want to read to you a faith story from the ministry of Jesus. And it'll be a story that many of us will know and many of us will know very, very well. But a little bit of context to the story first. Um, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, because of a few things that he had said, had got himself arrested and thrown into the prison of King Herod. And then after a period of time, King Herod beheaded John the Baptist. And the story we're going into is actually with that context. So if you have your Bibles with you today or if you've got your Bibles device, you might want to read along with me the story of what we're going into now. We're going to be reading from the 14th chapter of Matthew. We're starting at verse 13. So from Matthew 14, starting at verse 13, this is how the story goes. When Jesus heard what had happened, what had happened to John, his cousin, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And hearing of this, the crowds followed Jesus on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. In other gospel accounts of this story, it also says that Jesus taught them as well as healed their sick. But as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. So send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So we're talking about a large group of people here, aren't we? Now, we know this story, don't we, as Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. This is a story of Jesus' miraculous multiplication of food, turning a meagre offering of a few bread rolls. Don't think loaves, just actually think more bread rolls. Taking a few bread rolls and a couple of fish, which is probably a meal for about one person at best, we know from other accounts that it's actually the boy who brought the, 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 that offering itself. So it's only really a meal for a boy, but Jesus turned it into a meal for thousands. Now, in, in, in doing this, Jesus took the Jews back to other significant figures and significant events in their history. And in doing this, Jesus was not so subtly implying that he is even greater than these past figures. Jesus was saying, I'm greater than Moses who did about the, the food in the wilderness. He's greater than Elijah when it came to what Elijah did with some food back in his day. Jesus is in fact greater than Moses and Elijah. Now this is the primary main point out of this story. Jesus is pointing to who he was. 
Now, there's no understanding, no real understanding about how the people were miraculously fed by such a small offering. What we do know, though, that it wasn't something miraculous that Jesus did to make everybody feel full. You know, there's medications you can buy at Chemist Warehouse these days and you take a tablet or, you know, eat something and it makes you feel full all day. Now, Jesus didn't do that. Why? Because we know from the story that the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of food afterwards. So Jesus had done something with the food. Most Bible scholars say that when Jesus broke it up, and then gave it to disciples to distribute, that was when the miracle occurred. It was taking the little bit that they had and going to the people, that's when the multiplication actually occurred. The miracle went with the humble offering going to the people. God did something so profound. Jesus did something so profound with the little bit that each of the disciples had as they went to the people, and that ended up being more than enough. So here's something to think about from this story. Have you ever felt totally inadequate to do something? That you felt, you know what, I, I can't do that. Why would I ever think that I could do that? What do I have that makes you think that I could do that? Or maybe somebody saw something in you. They saw something in you and said, hey, I want to invite you to come along and be a part of that. And you think to yourself, man, I, there's no way. I might have a little bit of experience. I might have some skill in particular. But what they're asking of me is so much greater than what I think that I can do. Tell me, how do you respond to those opportunities when you feel inadequate and unqualified and unprepared for the opportunity that comes before you, what do you usually do? Do you embrace the opportunity? Do you welcome it and say, yeah, let's go? Or do you shrink back and go, well, you've got the wrong person here. I can't do that. There's no way. I don't have what it takes. Somebody, get somebody else to do it. Somebody else will do a much better job than me. You know what, I wonder how much of our lives have been defined by ultimately what we think we cannot do and so what we did not do rather than thinking what is possible and us doing that. Have there been any situations when you have let your doubts in yourself dictate to you your response to opportunity? Now, if you can think that there have been times when that has been the case for you, then how do you react to Jesus' words that he says to his disciples, words that we know very, are very familiar with and we've looked through this, through this series? How do you think about you when Jesus says these words, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I commanded you. How do you think about you when Jesus says, go and make disciples? 
How adequate do you feel when Jesus commands this? Who, me? Who, me, go make disciples? Me, go and do something and see somebody else to become a disciple? No way. I don't have what it takes. I couldn't do that. What do I have to see somebody become a disciple of Jesus? You see, the secondary storyline in Jesus feeding the 5,000 is when he says to disciples about what to do with the hungry people. Now, the disciples themselves, they can only see from the perspective of an earthly perspective. They're seeing all this crowd of people and they're going, I would imagine that their tummies are rumbling. My tummy's rumbling. I'm sure one of the disciples said, these people's tummy must be rumbling as well. They could only see it from a physical perspective, but Jesus is trying to get them to see a spiritual perspective here. They could only see physically hungry people. Jesus is trying to show them the fact that there are spiritually hungry people, so much so that they've all come out from the towns to come and see Jesus. They are spiritually hungry people, but all the disciples could see was physically hungry people. But Jesus is trying to bring the perspective into the disciples and saying, look at all the spiritually hungry people. And what's Jesus' response to this? He says, you give them something to eat. In other words, you disciple them. You disciple them. You provide for them what they need. And what's the disciples' response to that from a physical perspective, earthly perspective? We can't do that. We've only got five small loaves and a couple of fish. We've got nothing in comparison to what is needed. On face value, it was tiny compared to what was needed with the people, all the hungry people that had come along. But yet, because of the teaching that they had received, because of the transformation that they experienced, because of the, tra- the training that they had received by Jesus. At least the disciples brought, in a physical, earthly perspective, brought what they had to Jesus. And Jesus worked miracles with what they had. Doing something miraculous with a meagre offering to tell about an incredible spiritual miracle that could actually occur. You know, often the English translation of the original Greek writings, particularly from the New Testament, sees things be lost. And that's particularly the case when it comes to the words that Jesus said to his disciples about going into the nations and baptising them, making disciples. You see, the more accurate translation of that verse is, as you go... Make disciples of all nations. As you go. In other words, as you go, go with what you have, just like the disciples. Go with the broken up little offering. Go to the hungry people. Jesus is saying, as you go, go with what you have and I'll do something miraculous with what you bring. Because Jesus says at the end of that verse, and I'll be with you to the very end of the age. If Jesus is with us to the very end of the age, that means that Jesus can can still do the miracles with what we bring in a spiritual sense because he remains with us. So in other words, and linking back to the miracle of the story, 
Jesus can do something miraculous with what you have. As humble as you may think that your offering may be. Jesus can do something miraculous with what you have for you to be able to disciple somebody else. You feed them, Jesus says. You give them something to eat. You do it. You can do it because I am with you and I can turn what you have into more than enough for somebody else. You see, the intent for us is not simply to be a disciple of Jesus. Our intent has to be to make other disciples. You see, when church is like school, church doesn't merely teach you Jesus' ways. And then for you then to be in an environment to allow Jesus to transform you as you follow his ways. And the church is not merely to train you to live out Jesus' ways. See, the church is to encourage you, to help you, to train you to see others to become a disciple just like you. So in other words, as a school, the church is all about disciples making disciples. And I'm not quite sure if you've ever thought about this before, but this is the primary mission of the church. Why do we go out into the world? It is to see more disciples of Jesus be made. This is the primary mission of the church, disciples making new disciples. But why would you want to disciple somebody? Why would you want to get alongside them and encourage them and teach them and pray with them in their journey with Jesus? You know, I wouldn't want to do that, some of us may be thinking, because you know what? I feel totally inadequate to be able to do that. What do I have that would make me want to disciple somebody? Remember I asked you earlier on about how do you grow your faith? See, I'm not sure if you realise this or not, but you grow your faith by discipling somebody else. It's a bit weird, isn't it? How you grow your faith by discipling somebody else. Now, how do I know this? How can I make this bold statement? Well, Jesus tells the disciples to feed the hungry people. But they feel totally inadequate to do so. So Jesus does something miraculous to not only help them in a physical sense, but to point the disciples to some greater spiritual reality. And as a result of what Jesus did, something, doing something miraculous, what little the disciples they had, seeing hungry people being fed, look what immediately happens next. I'm going to go back over and read from... The end of the story of the feeding of the 5,000 into the next part, which we have to pay attention to. It says this, They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Now, immediately, the text says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd... After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out out to them, walking on the lake. 
When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. And then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. You see, in Jesus using what little Peter had to feed physically and spiritually hungry people, that was a final piece of the puzzle. See, adding to the teaching that Peter had received, adding to the transformation that Peter had experienced, adding to the training that Peter had received himself from Jesus. It was then what Peter was seeing, what Jesus did with the meagre offering to feed hungry people, that was the last straw for Peter. It had now incredibly transformed him because just a few hours earlier, Peter didn't think he could do anything. He still doubted. But yet once Jesus did something with the meagre offering, it provided the type of faith that allowed Peter to get out of the boat. You want to know how to grow your faith? You want to know, have a type, Peter-type faith? Were you even prepared to get out of the boat? How do you do that? What do we learn from this story? See, if you want to grow your faith, it's not simply about reading more or serving more or giving more or even believing more. If you want to grow your faith from where it is today to have the Peter-type faith, Start discipling somebody. Start discipling somebody. It is when you, in effect, become a teacher, if you like, to somebody else in their journey with Jesus. Where you believe in Jesus to such an extent that you are prepared to help somebody else develop in their journey with Jesus. And what you will find is that when you disciple somebody, not only will you help somebody else's faith in Jesus grow, but yours will also as well because you become more and more convinced about who Jesus is. If you want your faith to grow, start discipling somebody. Because what you might find, it is through discipling somebody else that might actually then give you the faith to get out of the boat yourself. If you feel like your faith has been is dry, barren, not really going anywhere, can I ask you, who are you discipling right now? See, my favourite teacher, Mr D, I'm going to bring that photo, thanks, Kate. He wasn't an expert in AFL, not even close. He was simply willing to give what he had to help us to realise the potential that we had. Mr. D's role in my life was only for a couple of years. He, next, the following year, he coached us and we lost the grand final. We lost to a team in Newcastle. But he continued to coach us over these couple of years. So his influence in my life was only for a couple of years. Now, even though he may look a particular way, a stereotypical way that some people have represented Jesus, I can't say that I was discipled by Jesus in my time at high school. He was just a teacher being prepared to invest himself to help another along the journey. But that is what Jesus is asking of you in a spiritual context. As you go, 
with what you have, help disciple someone else for as long as God provides you the opportunity to do so. You may help a particular person for a short time, but you always need to be discipling somebody, dare I say, multiple people in your life. So today, what I want to do is I want to give you something. Ashish, you can prepare for that now. I want to give you something as a reminder of the role that each of us are to play when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to church being school. Because remember, church is not a building. We are the church. And so what I want to do is that I want to give you a gift today. And what is your gift? Well, as you'll see in a few moments, Grell, if I can have one of those to start off with. Thank you very much. Thanks. Everyone's getting a gift of an apple. Why an apple? Well, you give an apple to a teacher, don't you? You give an apple to a teacher. And so what I want to do with giving you this apple, I want to give you something of an affirmation of what I see in you. What I see in you are people who are prepared to be a teacher to someone else, bringing what you have, as humble as that may be, bringing it to somebody else to help somebody else realise the potential, the spiritual potential inside each of them. This apple is to be a reminder of who you are and what I see in you. Let me tell you the words that Paul writes to the church, to his friends in Rome. This is what he writes to the church in Rome. He says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and what? Competent to instruct one another. I'm sure that he, in his letter that he sent to Rome, he also sent a crate of apples <laughs> to tell the people in the church in Rome that they have the ability to disciple Others as well. See, you have what it takes. You can do this. In Jesus' kingdom, you can be and you are that teacher, no matter how humble you may think your offering is. When you bring it to Jesus, he will do something miraculous to help feed spiritually hungry people. But you have to bring it for the miracle to occur. And so your discipleship investment may be at home with your kids or your spouse. It could be over the fence with your Hindu or Muslim or no religion neighbour. It could be with your good friend or your work colleague. It could be with that person that God brings into your life for a purpose and for a season. But that person is, you are to help them. And God brings them into your life for, them, for God to also help you to develop your faith to allow you to get out of the boat. So my question to you this morning is, who are you discipling? Who can you disciple? Because what we have to realise is that as we're being a discipler of others, that is the ultimate expression. That is the ultimate fulfilment of church being school. Now, what you will notice that I have not mentioned about how to, how to disciple today. 
After the, after the service, out on the table where the offering box is, there's a sign-up sheet. If you'd like to know more about how do you disciple somebody in your world, then why don't you express interest in that and we can talk and we can, and we can start going through a process of where we can start equipping, equipping you to disciple other people. Some of us already know how to do that. Maybe some of us are already doing it. But if you need help to become a discipler of others, to fulfill what Jesus talked about when he says, you, you feed them, but you're not quite sure how to do it, why don't you sign up, express interest, and we can talk about that and start going through and equipping you and training you to be a discipler of others. But interesting, Matthew chapter 10 says these words. As you go, as you go, Freely as you have received, freely give. As you go, freely as you have received, freely give. It's about the apple. It's about you being a teacher. It's about you being a disciple. Join me in prayer. Lord God, I give you thanks and praise that this morning as we finish this service, this series on old school, that you challenge us about being disciples ourselves. Lord, that we are not meant to be a disciple, be a follower of Jesus, live in his ways, to be transformed by him, but we are to make other disciples. The reason why we, you teach us, the reason why you transform us, the reason why you train us is for us to be disciples of other people. Lord, I want to thank you so much for those in our church who have already, who are already discipling others, but encourage all of us, Lord God, nonetheless, to be even greater disciples than what we are today. Not only for the benefit of other people, but for us to have our, our faith grow as well as we are prepared to tell others about how awesome you are, the good news of Jesus, and to help people along that pathway of following him. Lord, I want to thank you so much for what you've been doing in our hearts in this series and may it continue to bear incredible fruit for you. Encourage us as the disciples that we are and can be. And may whenever we go to the supermarket, Lord God, and we see the pile of apples there, we are reminded of the role that you want us to have in the life the people that you have brought into it. Lord, I want to thank you now. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. But if the God has spoken in your heart about anything about this discipling element today or through this whole series, then why don't you come? Come and seek prayer for that. If you're online and you want to find out more about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus or want to be a disciple, please get in contact with me. I'd love to pray with you about that as well. And if you're online and you want to register for express your interest about how to go through some discipleship training, how do you to be a disciple of others, then get in contact with me as well.